is New Albion calling. New Albion calling. Good evening. My name is Theodore Pilkington Rhubarb, and you are listening to the ARC Light Program. Stand by, nation. Stand by, nation. Before we continue with the broadcast, I've just been handed this urgent public announcement by my assistant Mabel, who's got a coat on for some reason. So if I may please have your undivided attention. This almost certainly something of great national importance. So please put aside whatever you are doing and stand by, New Albion. Public service announcement dated today, 25th November, 1870, at 20 hundred hours. With the owner of blue airship G0AT1, please move it as I'm blocked in. Oh, for heaven's sake, Mabel, is this your doing? Well, yes, I'm sure you are blocked in. But where are you going anyway? The show's only just started. Sorry, what's that? You have a date. Oh, for goodness sake. No, I can't just chivvy it up a bit. I'm currently broadcasting live to the nation. No, I am not reading it again, just in case. Oh, goodness me. Just when I thought we couldn't get any more unprofessional. We've reached a new low on the Fahrenheit calibrated scale of total incompetence. Oh, wonderful. Who on earth is ringing in now? I've I've not even announced the listener's quiz for this week. Mabel, Mabel, where are the clues? No, no, I don't care you're going on a date. I have a listener, literally, on the line. Ahoy, hoy. Uh, this is Metropolis. One, zero, um, something. Uh, attention, nation. I mean, uh, listener. Uh, are you ready to play? Can you guess what it is? Stop your blathering, Rhubarb. It's Urban Trousers. Put that filly Mabel on the blower. Uh, urban Trousers? What on earth do you want? I'm attempting to broadcast to the nation here, although I'm increasingly wondering why I'm bothering. Uh, you're still blathering, Rhubarb. Just put Mabel on, will you? She's already ten minutes late for our date. How can she be ten minutes late for your date? We've literally only just started broadcasting. I don't think anyone actually listens to your programme, Rhubarb. It's just some waffly story, isn't it? How very dare you. Admittedly, the stories are of mixed quality, but I, I like to think they are read beautifully. And on top of that, we have the world's first telephone orientated listeners' quiz, I'll have you know. Well, rather you than me. I'm not sure I'd want to speak to any of my listeners. Oh, really? Do tell me why not. Oh, insufferable bores, a lot of them. Either that or a bunch of old grannies. Do you want to know a secret? I'm sure everyone does. The so-called listeners' requests are all made up. Ah, ah, all of them. I just play what I want. Stuff the listeners. Uh, I'm sure they'll all be as delighted as I am to hear that. Ha! See if I'd actually tell them that. What size inside leg proto-muppet exactly are you, trousers? This has all been going out live. This is the listener's telephone-in quiz line you've so rashly called in on. Uh, what? I did try to tell you, but you do keep wittering on. Um, uh, what? Uh... Ah, uh, this isn't uh, actually a open the trousers are speaking. It's a uh, Luigi Engel Finkelstein Mario Kart. Uh, I'm just accidentally calling in on a completely wrong number to speak to our Mabel. Oh, do sod off. 
I've just about had enough of this, Mabel. Yes, we shall have words later. And you could take your coat off, young lady. You're not going anywhere. No, I really don't care that you're twelve and a half minutes late. We do still actually have a show to do. No, I don't care that this week's answer was a beautiful unicorn jumping over a lovely rainbow. Ah, oh, I've actually had enough. Get my agent on the phone again and be sharpish about it. Unicorn, my ass. And now on the light programme, it's time for Slumber Time Stories. And this week we bring you another story from Tales of New Albion. ARC presents Welcome to Air Ropa by Darren Callow. Oh, where do all the airships go when the moorings slip and the storm wind blows, when their tethers break and they crack their foils? Oh, where do all the airships go? Rusty Inglemop was not having a good week. It had started well enough as she and her bestest chimpanzee pal, Bella Stranka, had arranged a relaxing airship trip over the Lanchester estuary. Unfortunately, the problems had started when, determined to be early, she departed before an electrogram had arrived which would have informed her that the joyride was to be put on hiatus due to inclement weather. The hammering rain, dense fog and gale a blowin might have been a clue, but Rusty and Simeon Companion had pressed on undaunted, making it over the gangway into the unmanned pleasure dirigible just as a particularly savage gust snapped its inadequate moorings and blew them all away. This had been four days ago, and since then she and Bella had seen nothing but the inside of the unfueled and uncontrollable airship and the dense grey storm clouds outside. They thanked their lucky stars that the ship had been stocked with emergency rations and drinking water. They fashioned beds from blankets and played cards when they weren't too scared out of their wits, and prayed to all the gods and none that they would arrive somewhere safely, eventually. And eventually, they did. Although they didn't know it, as they were fast asleep at the time on the benches of the small cabin. The wind having finally eased, and the airship having cosied up to something not too hard and not too soft. Rusty, was startled awake by an old woman with unkempt hair, a loose blue tabard with a gold chain around her waist, a medallion around her neck, and a blue and white tea towel tied to her head, shaking her furiously. Wake up! Wake up! You must wake up! muttered the woman in an overly loud stage whisper. Blah! squawked Rusty undiplomatically as she recoiled from the woman, who gave the appearance of some sort of vagabond nun, malnourished and unkempt. When she saw Rusty and the ape awakening, the crone also backed off, clearly uncertain how they might react to her presence. This allowed Rusty to gather her thoughts somewhat, so she added a more useful, uh, Where are we? Europa, hissed the woman, 
through yellow teeth, and then added more stealthily, Do you have a clan yet? She looked around anxiously, as voices could be heard in the distance. Now Rusty was well read, but had never come across anywhere called Aeropa. Where is... She started to form another question, but the hag cut her off. You are not safe here without weapons or a clan to defend you. There were footsteps on a gangway not so far away now, and Rusty felt a flutter of panic. If you have food or fuel, then pledge it to me, and the Church of Emitters can protect you. There is no, no fuel, stammered Rusty, finding her mouth very dry and palms sweaty. We ate all the food, but, but, but I have a few b -b barley sugars. She reached into her pocket and brought out three wax paper wrapped sweets, only one of which had been previously sucked. Will you give them to me willingly? hissed the woman, her eyes bulging ever wider. Of course, here they are. She handed them over and the woman grabbed them greedily. But then her eyes turned kinder. Ah, uh, then... Welcome to the church of the emitters of Rabbi F. Fats. And as the footsteps grew alarmingly loud, she quickly hauled the square medallion from round her neck and looped it over Rusty's head. Now hide the monkey. Rusty was about to explain how Bellistranka was actually an ape when, without ceremony, the woman threw a blanket over said primate and almost simultaneously the door to the gondola flew open to reveal another strange and irksome character peering in through the shadows. Does this ship have a clan? He drawled in the most monotonous voice Rusty had ever had the misfortune to hear, and it had to be said that the body attached to it was equally unfortunate. His eyes were sunk and reddened, his body hunched grotesquely, so he was almost on all fours. His tattered clothing all grey and gathered around him in a dishevelled manner. The man, if it was such, was clearly emaciated, and what little greasy hair he had, he tugged at constantly with a bony hand. Go away, sneer, commanded the woman, seemingly not fearing the hideous apparition. She's with the emitters now. All her food and fuel are freely pledged. He glared at them, taking in the medallion around Rusty's neck that she held towards him now as if it was a talisman to ward off the evil eye. He seemed clearly disappointed at this and continued to knot his hair in a quite disgusting way. Sneer is not my name, he drawled. But you shall not know it. You nor your Martian friends. They slice you up, you know. And with that cryptic and slightly morbid pronouncement, he turned his head and slunk out of the doorway. Rusty felt a shiver of disgust wriggle its way down her spine. Ugh! What was that? He looked like a, a rat or something. That is the word, said the woman, noisily extracting one of the barley sugars, which she then popped in her mouth and proceeded to suck noisily. Through the sucks, 
she held out a dirty and skinny hand. I'm Fatima, by the way. Fatima Fats. Oh, uh, like the rabbi you mentioned. <laughs> are, are you related? The woman laughed in a slightly manic way and shook her head vigorously. Of course not, silly. My real name is Susan. Uh, that's just my emitter name. By this point, sensing the coast to be clear, Bella Stranker tentatively emerged from under the blanket and nervously sniffed the air. Fatima, or Susan, or whatever her name was, held out a hand to her too. Greetings. You are also welcome, monk. Rusty cut her short. She's not a monkey. She's a chimpanzee. An ape, just like you. But Bella Stranker was used to being misspecied and shook the offered hand anyway. Rusty squinted at the square medallion. It was a fairly crude piece of tin with letters stamped on it in an amateurish way. It read, Emit Trap, in large letters. And below that, F. Fats Rab. Although the lettering was weird, like some kind of foreign language. The E, for example, looked more like a three and the P like a Q. Susan slash Fatima's eyes glistened as she saw her reading the words and a smile creased her wrinkled face. It was a sign from our Lord and Saviour, she eulogised in the reverent tones of an elderly Sunday school teacher. Emit trap, send out from the trap, the trap being this place that imprisons us all, she explained, raising her flabby arms to indicate their current location. F. Fats Rab. Now, some people think that Rab might be a name, but I, uh, like most, choose to believe it's short for Rabbi, which means teacher. She sat herself down on one of the benches, clearly settling in for a long yarn, so Rusty and Bella did likewise. Thus beseated, the crone proceeded to explain how the founder of the church had come across this message amongst the ashes of a fire on the floor of an airship. Taking it as a sure sign that F. Fats would surely come one day and rescue them all. The ashes soon blew away, but the message was seared in her mind, and now in medallions emitters all war. Where exactly is this place, this trap as you call it? interrupted Rusty, wanting to clear this point up early doors. Ah, my manners. She glanced out the window. I see the cloud is lifting a little. I should show you around. And with that, she sprang up and moved to the doorway, beckoning them to follow. Cautiously, she glanced outside to make sure the rat man had gone, and then hobbled outside. Rusty and Bella shrugged at each other and then followed her out of the door to where a loose gangplank had been laid up to their gondola and a rope attached, connecting them to another airship. And then another, and another, and another beyond that. In every direction they saw balloon after balloon. Every type of dirigible, blimp, gas bag, skyhood, motgolfier and raccoon. Their gondolas, baskets and cars floating freely or lashed crudely into larger structures. A veritable floating city of jetsam. Fatty Sue's noted their slack-jawed gaze and opened her arms proudly, 
if resignedly, and declared, Welcome to where all the lost airships go. Welcome to Air Ropa. Feeling both elated and off-the-scale terrified, Rusty was preparing to ask a thousand questions when a spinning train of thought was interrupted by a dark and ominous horn-blowing. This in turn caused all the questions to get muddled up in her mouth and all she was able to say was, Weren't it get what do you see that? Bella Stranker widened her eyes and gave her a sideways glance of disapproval, but old Fatty Sue seemed to comprehend the garbled query. Ah, the Horn of Discovery, she declared. Another stray has arrived. A bit more valuable than yours, I wager, and this time with no souls aboard. So, there must be a chuntering amongst the clans. Before Rusty could ask any follow-up questions, she turned and clapped her hands excitedly. Shall we go and see? The others raised no objection, mostly due to being completely confused, which she took as pretty much full-on consent. Oh, goody. Uh, we need a disguise for your monk... Uh, oh, I mean ape, though. Animals tend to get eaten around here. Lots of rather hungry people. And with that and a... Wait here! She scurried away. Her name is Bella Stranka, yelled Rusty after her, but to no obvious effect. She turned to the slightly annoyed-looking ape and offered her most consolatory face. Sorry, old girl. I think I've got us into a bit of a pickle. Although, hopefully not with actual pickle. <laughs> oh, no, sorry. <laughs> not funny. Oh, dear. Rusty thought it best to be quiet at this point, lest she stick her foot any further into her cake hole. Bella just rolled her eyes and shrugged her hairy shoulders at this, but then seemed to have a brainwave and tugged Rusty back into the cabin, her eyes filled with purpose. When Susie Fats finally returned, it seemed that her idea of a disguise was simply a pair of the grubby blue tabards, gold waist chains and medallions that she herself was wearing. Oh, and a pair of white and blue tea towels similar to her own, one of which she tied over the ape's head with a length of cord. Having dressed both Bella Stranka and Rusty thus, she stood back to admire her handiwork, popped another barley sugar into her mouth and slurped, Shall we go and see the new arrival? before turning heel and shuffling off towards where the horn had intoned its baleful wail only minutes earlier. Seeing that they had not much of a choice, our two castaways simply followed gingerly behind, along the gangplanks lashed between the many stricken vessels. Despite her age, Susie Fatty moved with the ease of much familiarity between the vessels and had to pause many times to enable the others to catch up, as they were not so short-footed amongst the swaying and jolting ships. However, this short journey finally allowed Rusty to ungarble her questions, and one by one she started to get some answers. However, what she heard filled her with increasing amounts of cold dread. It seemed that they were indeed in the city of lost airships, floating high in the air, over a giant volcano surrounded by countless acres of frigid ocean. The volcano they cheerily called Odark the Oppressor, and its hot upstream was what held them all in this odd place with very little chance of escape. 
Below was Hobson's choice of molten lava or crashing ocean, and all winds, currents and airstreams seemed to suck with a grinding inevitability to this singularity. Any airship without power caught in the wind from any place on the globe would end up here, sooner or later. It could take days, or decades, but the result was the same, and those who survived this ordeal now had little choice but to forage and grub an existence amongst this maze of balloons. Their bodies weakening as their minds collapsed with the inescapable futility of it all. Reading between the tether ropes, it seemed that most people unfortunate enough to be incarcerated here were either slowly wasting away or losing their minds, or a combination of the two. This feeling was reinforced when a muttering and frantic woman barged past them, dragging a crazy knotwork of rope behind her. In truth, the entirety of the variegated tied cables was so long, it took nearly a full minute to finally snake past them and Rusty and Bella had been forced into a veritable tap dance to avoid treading on it. Susan E.F. answered their question even before they had asked it. Probably a dangler, she pronounced sagely, as if it was the most ordinary thing. They lower themselves down, hoping to reach the ground. She turned and began to lead them onwards again. It's too far, though, she called back over her shoulder. And they'd only burn anyway. Or drown. Or the middle one. On this cheery note, they moved on, and gradually began to pass more people, forcing Bella to tug her tea towel down further over her head in an effort to look vaguely human. Mind you, that wasn't particularly difficult amongst this bunch of weirdos. In fact, no one gave her more than a passing glance. It was truly a wonder how anybody survived up here, thought Rusty. But somehow survived they did laying traps to snare birds, catching rainwater, growing seeds caught on the breeze and rearing and eating any livestock careless enough to be caught on an airship lost to the elements. And, of course, dividing up the spores of any bountiful dirigibles that arrived on the scolding wind. The rules of this seemed to be that if you arrived with a ship, it was yours to keep or barter away for the protection of a clan. But if the ship was unmanned, then different rules applied depending on the exact locality with which it collided. It seemed this latest arrival had fallen into a kind of no-folks land, so the Grublins, the Brotherhood of the Albatross, the Fallers, the Ascenders, and the Emit Trappers, plus a few die-hard loners, all had to argue the toss amongst themselves in something called a chuntering the rules of which seemed so arcane and convoluted that Rusty gave up listening to the explanation almost immediately. In any case, she could observe it now with her own eyes and hear it with her own ears, as there they all were assembled before her, haggling loudly in their skeebald mix of clan colours and varied tongues. In amongst this rainbow midden, Rusty thought she glimpsed the monochrome rags of sneer, leering at them with his bloodshot gaze. But before she could be sure, he vanished into the throng. Oh, how much he wanted to be gone from this place and return to the cheery, niff-smelly, comfort of the chimpanzee orphanage. Then, as Fatima S. pointed out the new airship arrival, which had given rise to this cacophony, it dawned on her gawking ganglions 
that it might actually be a road to their escape. The ship that the throng of air-dwellers were getting so worked up about was a beast of a balloon, fully 800 feet long and what you might call a classic zeppelin in shape. On the face of it, a fairly utilitarian military dirigible, if a little damaged, perhaps from a battle. Rusty, though, had studied airship design and knew more about what this one usually had aboard. She reached out and grabbed Susie Fat's arm. How much do you want to leave this place? She whispered, fearful that the animated mob of crazies might overhear. I will leave when F. Fat's Rab comes to emit us from this trap, answered Fat Susan in rote fashion clearly indoctrinated by years of delusion. Yes, yes, but what if you could leave sooner? I know something about that airship, she hissed. We studied them in technical college. She pulled F. Susan closer before she could respond and added, It's an aircraft carrier. So, what are you saying? There may be planes aboard? With engines? Susan gazed at the battered zeppelin with fresh insight. Rusty thought she saw the welling of a small tear as she nodded her affirmation. Oh, but it, even if it were true, who can fly it? Can you? I can't. I, I really, really can't. No, conceded Rusty. But... Before she could elaborate, she was cut off as Bella Stranker clearly getting more than a little frustrated with pretending to be something as daft as a human, threw off her tea towel headgarb and pulled out the flare pistol she had rescued from their airship and started waving it around threateningly. But she can, concluded Rusty, indicating the tooled-up ape. Realising that she had no real option but to go along with Bella's play, she started yelling, The ape's got loose! whilst flailing her arms around, and she's got a gun! She turned to Bella and whispered sotto voce. Is it actually loaded? The ape just shrugged and continued to wave it, baring her teeth at any lunatic who dared to stand in their way. Rusty and a slightly reluctant but hopeful Susie Fats followed on behind them, her face the picture of complete incomprehension. Can your mug... I mean, ape... Fly a plane? inquired Fa Su, looking decidedly dubious. Yep, certainly can, replied Rusty. She was trained in Rustland to pilot kamikaze rockets. And then added swiftly as Susan the Fat gazed at her, even more wide-eyed than usual. Uh, don't ask. And so somehow, the nutty nun, the ex-draftswoman with a poor sense of danger and the flare-gun-toting suicide-bomb pilot chimpanzee made their way onto the YAS Akron, despite howls of impotent rage from the Aeropian cohort. Then, with a calm efficiency that you would expect of a rusky-trained chimp pilot, Bellastranko located, lowered and started one of the seemingly entirely airworthy triplanes and, with incredible skill, flew it free from its complicated trapeze and skyhawk apparatus, leaving the bizarre floating shantytown of Air Roper behind them. As they banked away, by chance, 
Rusty caught a glimpse of herself and her emitter church medallion in the reflection of the plain canopy and gave a little gasp of realisation. The nagging feelings that she'd had in the back of her mind since meeting Fatima, who used to be Susan, were confirmed. The miracle of the burning paper was not particularly divine in its origination. Emit trap, a fat's rab. When you viewed it in the mirror, was as mundane as you could possibly imagine, saying simply, part-time bar staff, presumably to be followed by the word required, as part of an advertisement on a pleasure cruiser that had caught fire and was subsequently lost to the winds of destiny. She thought better of mentioning this to the dewy-eyed Susan, though, as under Bella's skilful control they broke free of the cloud cover and saw the glinting peaks of the ocean below them. Which ocean it was, and where they might be heading, they knew not. But the salty air of freedom smelt good. They had a plane that could fly against the wind, and thus expedite their escape from all the madness that lay behind them. Or so they thought. In the ape flare-gun-waving frenzy to get aboard, they'd failed to notice the pointy-faced, snivelling, grey shape of the rat-man slip in behind them and attach himself like a limpet, a tedious, grey, rat-faced limpet, to their plane's undercarriage. Where he now hung below them, cackling his monotonous cackle and dribbling like the twisted, mad, rodent-alike thing he was. Wherever they were headed, it seemed snook, for that was his real name, was coming along for the ride. Right, well, I'm glad all of that is over. Uh, I'm off to speak to my agent. Not sure if I'll be back next week, who knows. Good night, New Albion. I wish you dreams of a unicorn jumping over a rainbow. All stories, voices and characters created by and copyright to Darren Cannon. All music by Charlotte Savica. Tales of New Album is available to buy from Amazon online stores or via Bandcamp where the album is also available. For more information, go to www.talesofnewalbion.com or search for Tales of New Albion on Facebook. Tales of New Albion is a Monkey Teaspoon production of Albion Radiophonic Corporation.